think we need to put Medicare and Social Security in a lockbox. The governor will not put Medicare in a lockbox. I don't think it should be used as a piggy bank for other programs. I think it needs to be moved out of the budget and protected. Picking up sound on the interstate. I am my breath. Riding in waves. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Hannah Jaffe Wald. Today is Friday, November 12th, and that was former Vice President Al Gore, you heard at the top of the show, talking in the 2000 presidential debate. So today on the program, we plunge into what turns out to be one of the greatest mysteries in government the Social Security Trust Funds. And we ask what seems like it would be a fairly straightforward question, do they exist? <laughs> yes. Well, Alex, I have right here in front of me this report, the Social Security Trustees Report from August of 2010. And it says right here, the Social Security Trust Funds have $2.5 trillion in them. So there's an argument about whether or not that $2.5 trillion is actually in the trust funds? <laughs> yes, whether it exists or not. And as you'll see later, that argument can get pretty heated. But first, our Planet Money Indicator with our very own J. Julius Goldstein. What's up, Jacob? Hey, guys. Today's Planet Money Indicator is $28 billion. Uh, that was the U.S. trade deficit with China for the month of September, according to the latest figures which came out this week. In other words, we bought $28 billion more stuff from China than China bought from us. So things in September and October were basically the same as they've been for years in terms of global trade. The U.S. is buying more stuff from the world than it is selling to the world, and the Chinese are selling more than they're buying. And as a result, what we see year after year is more and more dollars piling up in China. And this is, this is clear to everybody. It's no secret. It's part of this global imbalance that everybody was talking about this week at the G20 summit in Seoul. President Obama was there. President Hu of China was there. A bunch of other world leaders were there. They were all talking about the economy, talking about these imbalances. And they didn't get anywhere. They didn't come anywhere close to any meaningful agreement. And the, the best they could come up with was this statement that was ridiculous. It was obscure and tentative, even by the very obscure, very tentative standards of the G20. We, we were talking about this earlier. Hannah, could, could you read that one sentence we were talking about? Happily. Okay. Persistently large imbalances assessed against indicative guidelines to be agreed by our finance ministers and central bank governors warrant an assessment of their nature and the root causes of impediments to adjustment. <laughs> Wait. Oh, my God. It's actually a sentence. It doesn't even seem like a sentence. You know, so, it just seems like this, like, word waterfall or I know, something. There's so many words with so and, little meaning. And they pulled an all-nighter to write this. This was, like, <laughs> hard-fought language. Uh, there's this great story in the FT where this one British official was like, you can tell how much everybody disagreed by how terrible the language is here. <laughs> and so, so, I mean, basically what this nonsense sentence is saying is, okay, so... Say maybe these imbalances exist, and we're not saying that they exist, but if they do, then we should figure out why they exist and why we can't do anything about them. And that's it. End of G20 Summit. Everybody go home. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jacob. Yeah, thanks, Jacob. Thanks, guys. So, so Hannah, I, I've been looking into the Social Security Trust Fund issue now for, for a while, and I've reached a conclusion. What's that? They have the wrong name. They are not trust funds, at least in the way I think most people would think of a trust fund. A trust fund, like a thing that a rich kid gets and it's stored away and invested until they're 18 and then they get a big windfall? 
Right, or they get to draw on it for the rest of their life or whatever. That that doesn't seem to be what these trust funds are. But let's back up for a second, just talk about Social Security in general. So if you look at your paycheck stub, there's a line there. It says FICA SS. That's 6% of, of your taxable income. And that is the money that you are paying into Social Security. Your employer pays another 6%, making it 12%, basically, of your salary total. And you pay into that your whole working life, and then you get it back when you retire. So the idea is you get back roughly the amount that you put in over your working life. So you know maybe if you're poor, you'll get back a little bit more, or if you're rich, you get back a little bit less than you put in. But you're supposed to get back roughly the amount that you put into Social Security. And in the beginning of the program, the total amount being paid in was about equal to the total amount being paid out in benefits. So everything was pretty much in balance. That is, until a certain generation came along and and joined the workforce. I know which generation. The baby boomers. (laughs) Exactly. So all of a sudden, there were way more people paying into Social Security than there were collecting benefits out of it when they retired. And so there was all this surplus money. How is it uh, that that money is going to get set aside and saved for Social Security benefits when we need them? And that's where the story of the trust funds comes in. Maya McGinnis heads the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. And this question that she asked, what to do with that surplus, this is not a trivial question at all. You or I, Hannah, if we want to save money, we have a whole bunch of options. We can put our money in the bank. We can put it in the stock market. We can put it in cash under a mattress. The government can't really do any of that. Yeah. Imagine if the government were going to try to put a trillion plus dollars into the stock market and then, you know, suddenly it maybe has a major ownership stake in Coca-Cola or a bunch of private companies. And likewise, the government can't open an account at the bank like you and I would. So it's actually kind of a tricky thing for the government to save money. So when other countries in the world want to save money, like if China wants to save money or oil producing countries like Abu Dhabi, they put it in U.S. treasuries, so they buy U.S. bonds. But, of course, we can't do that because we are well, the United States. Actually, actually, that is what we do. What? Yeah, we, we the Social Security Trust Funds, they buy U.S. treasuries. So what happens is when a dollar goes into the trust fund, those dollars are all invested in government treasuries. The reasoning is that that's the safest investment strategy. You want to be cautious. You don't want to put your money in the stock market. You want it to be safe. Yes, safe. That's one way of looking at it. But on the other hand, a treasury is simply the way the U.S. government borrows money. A treasury is literally an IOU from the government. So the government gets money in from Social Security payments, takes that money and loans it to itself, says thank you self for this loan, and gives (laughs) itself an IOU to pay itself back. This is where your head starts to hurt. And this is where you start saying, are we double or are we triple counting? It starts to get really, really confusing. This is a little bit of a mind boggle. In the end, the question is, did you actually increase the overall level of government savings because of the extra money that went into Social Security? And the profound belief is no, not at all. That money all got spent. And in fact, the money you borrow from Social Security isn't actually reported in those deficit numbers. So when we talk about a trillion-dollar deficit, we're not even counting how much we borrowed from Social Security. The deficits are actually much larger each year if you count what we borrowed from and owe to Social Security. All right, and let's just stop here and make sure that everyone got that. What she said is the money that the government borrows from Social Security is not counted in the deficit number. Which is kind of crazy to think about because every time the government borrows money from anyone, from China, from Abu Dhabi, from you or me, that borrowed money shows up in the deficit, but not 
so with Social Security, which means the government is counting the money that it gets from Social Security as income, not debt. Exactly. So that $2.5 trillion in that Social Security Trust Fund report that you read at the top of the program, that is $2.5 trillion that the federal government owes. So calling a $2.5 trillion debt a $2.5 trillion trust fund it seems like a lie. I mean, a fund is money you've saved. Debt is money you owe. It seems like they're as opposite as, as you can get. Again, Maya McGinnis. I think they are dangerously named, and probably it was done purposefully. The point was being you are never going to get your hands on this money. We're going to call them trust funds, and that is going to help keep the money locked up for Social Security. But in the end, they are nothing like any trust fund that any one of us would think of. I mean, it conjures up an image of really holding savings, and it doesn't do that at all. And so it is damaging. Um, And one of the most heated debates out there is about the Social Security trust funds. And I can promise you, you'll hear about, once you start talking about the trust funds, you will hear from people who say, how dare you talk about them not being real? They're the realest thing out there. Um, This is a very heated debate, and much of it is because the name trust fund conjures up an image of something that's so sacred and trusted and savings and safe. Um, And unfortunately, that's just not how it worked. So why do people scream so often to call this thing a trust fund? Yeah. For example, right here, I have a paper which is called Fact Check. Has Social Security begun tapping its trust funds? And the author is an economist, Monique Morrissey, with the Economic Policy Institute. And she writes that the fund is in great shape and it is completely appropriate to call it a trust fund. One thing that helps with the confusion is to think of the trust fund as if you have a family and the family in general is living a little bit beyond its means. That would be the federal government these days. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so mommy and daddy have a, have a credit card, but the kid doesn't have access to the credit card, but the kid has a piggy bank. And in the piggy bank, you know, the kid is, is mowing lawns to, to earn some money on the side, and he's putting that money in the piggy bank. That is the Social Security Trust Fund. But the, the piggy bank then, instead of having that money sitting in the piggy bank, which, again, if we're talking about the government, I don't even know how you would do that. But like, since we're using this analogy, it, it, having the having that money sit in the piggy bank, isn't it more like, and now the, the family has taken and spent that money and has put a bunch of IOUs saying, oh, yeah, don't worry, you know, Timmy or Sally, whatever, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you back. That money has been spent by the government, right? Well, I mean, that's a, a slightly, I wouldn't put it that way, because the, the government is going to spend what it spends separately from what's in the piggy bank. But the analogy is accurate, right? Like in, in in the case of the Social Security Trust Fund, all of that money has been put into treasuries, which is the exact same thing as saying all that money has been lent to the U.S. government. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a matter of fact. It's always been that case. All right. So the reason that we're even talking about whether or not you call it a trust fund or debt or what it actually is, it's all because we're sort of at a pivotal moment in the history of Social Security. And how Social Security is paid for in the future is going to matter more and more. So we should just remember, for the last couple decades, there's been more money coming into Social Security than has been going out in benefits. And this year, for the first time in decades, that stopped. The amount of money coming in was less than the amount of money going out. This year, there's less coming in than going out because of the recession, Next year, there will be a little bit more coming in than goes out, and maybe the year after. But then after that, it changes course permanently. And from there on out, every year, there will be more going out than is coming in. So the baby boomers who generated all those surpluses for all those decades are now asking for their money back. 
Monique Morrissey, she's not too worried about that. It's a little bit like if that kid, going back to the kid with his piggy bank, always knew he was going to buy a mountain bike when he saved up enough money. Now, he's got the money in the bank. you know. So to say that the, all of a sudden the household's overall situation is going to get worse when that kid buys his mountain bike. No, it's like not. well, No, he but that's exactly, the, that's the, the analogy. It's, no, you know, no, I mean, it's true. Yes, is... it, it is true that on paper, at that moment that the kid buys his mountain bike because he's, you know, saved up money and then all of a sudden he's spending it. But the, but the analogy is actually that the, in the piggyback is, are all these IOUs from the parents because they've, they've taken the money and said, we're spending it on other things right now, but we're going to pay you back when the time comes for you to buy your mountain bike. And, you know, in five years, the kid's going to be ready for his mountain bike. And then the parents are going to have to come up with some way to replenish that piggy bank. Now, OK, now that's a real that's that's exactly the case. But imagine that for whatever reason, the parents have access to, in, you know, they have credit cards galore. So really, it doesn't matter to them whether, you know, whether they're, you know, putting it on the plastic. You know, they just put they'll put other stuff on plastic and pay back the kid. Right. And this is the situation of the federal government right now. The federal government, the you know, the plastic is China or whoever else. They got the plastic. They can spend what they want. So it really doesn't matter whether they're paying back their kid and putting more on plastic or not. That really doesn't matter. So basically, she's saying the Social Security Trust Fund, Alex, is just one credit card out of many. And the U.S. happens to get really good rates. So whenever all those baby boomers want their money, the U.S. will always be able to borrow money to pay them back. And and it also helps explain why people like Monique Morrissey are attached to the words trust fund. The idea of the trust fund is, is it's sort of like ideological territory in this political war. There are many people in the country who don't like the idea of Social Security at all, have never liked it. They think the government shouldn't be in the business of providing retirement savings for people and shouldn't be levying taxes to do that. But if that $2.5 trillion is a trust fund, even in name only, it's money that's guaranteed to be repaid. And setting it up as a trust fund means the government can't somewhere down the line say, let's cut the Social Security budget and give some of it to the military or to education. No, it is right there in the trustee report. No matter what happens in the rest of the budget, the government owes future Social Security beneficiaries $2.5 trillion. And if it doesn't pay... It is defaulting on its debt. Maya McGinnis agrees with that, but she is more worried about this credit card plan than Monique Morrissey is. She says, we've already borrowed a lot of money, and with Social Security, we're just going to be adding to that. It's going to get worse. The government can't even pay for its spending as it is. Now it has to start making good on those promises to the Social Security Trust Fund. This comes as a huge as a huge strain at a time when the budget is completely ill-prepared to accommodate more obligations than it already has. Mm-hmm. And so... And so so let's let's cast now into into that future. Let's say in the future where now it's a hundred billion negative. So there, there's a hundred billion less coming in than is is having to go go out. That means that every from that point on, every year there's an, an extra hundred billion dollars that the government is going to have to either borrow to pay to pay or cut spending from somewhere else to pay for that hundred billion dollar commitment. That that's what that means basically, right? That's right. It's going to have to raise taxes cut Social Security benefits, cut other government spending, or borrow the money. That's the only way to repay the money. So, of course, the question is, which of those things do we do? And that's where the real fight is going to be. Some people say, just keep borrowing. It's worked so far. Rates are really low. Let's just milk this for as long as we can. Another option, leave Social Security completely off the table. Keep the promised benefits exactly as they are today, but find ways to offset the extra money that we'll have to pay out, either raise taxes or cut other parts of the budget like defense or education. 
The third option, make rich people pay more for Social Security. Right now, Social Security taxes are only taken out up to $105,000 in income, meaning if you make two hundred grand a year, you only get Social Security taxes taken out of half your salary. So we could get rid of that cap and say all income is taxable for Social Security, which would definitely bring in more money. But we'd also have to say all that money that you put in, you might not get all that money back. Because this is where calling it a trust fund becomes damaging. You think you're going to put your money in, you're going to get that money back as opposed to maybe taxes. So if I'm you know, making more than 200 grand a year every year and I'm putting money into Social Security and I think it's a trust fund, I want all that money back when I retire. And a fourth option, make small gradual cuts to Social Security across the board. And this is a bunch of things. You could raise the age at which people retire. You could make the cost of living adjustments in the Social Security benefits go up more slowly. You could reduce the amount that middle and upper income people get back in benefits. Maya McGinnis has been arguing for all of these cuts for a while now, although to show just how hard it is to make this argument, she can't even win it with her own family. My father likes to blame me. He always says, why are you talking about Social Security all the time and lay off that program? <laughs> he says, you know, when are you going to be talking? I'm going to come and protest. Um, why does he, what is he, what is he worried that you're doing? He wants me to take my hands off his Social Security money. It's sort of the same old sense of, you know, I paid into that and those benefits are mine. The point I would always make is the very same people who paid in the extra money in Social Security that was supposed to be saved actually benefited from the fact that it wasn't saved. So earlier taxpayers were working and they were getting all the things government was giving and they were paying their payroll taxes for Social Security and they were paying their income taxes. And they were taking the payroll taxes and paying for a lot of the government, which allowed their income taxes to be lower than they otherwise would have. And so they basically subsidized lower income taxes and more government spending for decades. And then they get into retirement, and it, it, I understand why it seems outrageous. Who spent all that money from the trust funds? And I don't expect any voter to, to follow exactly what's going on. You know, I'm supposed to for a living, and I find it complicated. But the fact is that it subsidized earlier generations having lower taxes elsewhere because we used the Social Security taxes to finance so much of government. So the very same people who are saying, you know, why are we talking about changing Social Security? I paid in. Well, yeah, you did pay in, but also what you paid in when it paid for all the other government things because you weren't paying enough in income taxes to cover the bill. So, so you're the, so in other words, who spent it? We, you spent it. We all spent it on roads and defense and agricultural subsidies and moonshots, and we, that's, that's where all that money went. Absolutely. We, we, we spent it for every area of government. All right, so we gave you a lot of options. We didn't give you any answers. We hope we provided some clarity. If you have suggestions, complaints, comments, your own thoughts for how to solve this problem, or whether it's a problem at all, please share it with us on our blog, npr.org slash money, or at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash planetmoney. Or good old email, planetmoney at npr.org. You can read the full, ridiculously obscure statement out of the G20 that I read just a part of at the beginning of this podcast at npr.org slash money. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thanks for listening. Why?